So today, uh, a little different, we're going to take a, a break from the Gospel of Luke. As you heard this morning, that was our scripture reading. We've been kind of working through, uh, following the lectionary, and we've been preaching through uh, a lot of Luke, uh, and there's just been a lot of rich things there. And so as we came uh, this week, uh, you know, the lectionary has a New Testament, an Old Testament, and a Psalm. Uh, and so as I was reading the Old Testament, I was just drawn to this story, and I thought, this has got to be the text. It, it just, it, it spoke to me. I felt like it was where we needed to be this morning, and that's kind of how uh, stories can be sometimes, right? I mean, if you want someone to pay attention, just say, hey, I've got a story for you, right? Or every kid, when you say once upon a time, they just kind of tune right in, right? Stories are just the way that we, we communicate, the way that we understand things. It's why we teach uh, with stories in our in our preschool and our children's, I mean, ever most people remember uh, if you grew up in church the 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 flanographs, the felt boards, right? You can still picture them, uh, and we learn great stories, right? Like stories like David and Goliath, right? Stories like about King Solomon, right? We we learn all of these great stories, and and the Old Testament is so rich in stories. Knowing the Ark, uh, Lydia just reminded me, uh, we learn these great stories, right? And so we relate to them, and so as I was. Uh, reading this story, I thought, man, this, this is one of those stories that just sticks out. Um, you know, the problem with stories sometimes, and I've said this before, and I'll, and I'll say it again, we often try to kind of read ourselves into the stories of the Bible, right? We, we, the great American question is, where am I in the text? And that's a horrible question. Uh, the question when we read the Bible is, where's Jesus, Right? Where is Jesus in this scripture? Because from Genesis to Revelation, the story is about Jesus. It's about God and his redemption of mankind. And so we don't need to say, where am I in this? We need to say, where's Jesus in this? But yet the stories that they do, they paint a, a part of the human condition, right? We see kind of our life lived out in these stories, and we see things that we relate to and we understand. And as we come to today's story, it, it's short. Listen, it takes less than three minutes to read it in its entirety, but what I think we have here is a microcosm of the, the whole human condition and experience. Like, when we read this short story, it, it, it's, it's, it's humanity, it's salvation, it's the work of God, it's, it, it's everything kind of wrapped into this little short three-minute story, and that's what makes it so powerful. And so as we read this story, I want you to, to, to listen to, to the human condition and the experience that this can kind of contained in it. And so uh, some of you may be familiar with it and some of you may not. I asked um, my family, I said, have you ever heard of this name, Naaman? And one said yes and one said no. And, and so maybe that's you. Maybe you've heard the story of Naaman and maybe you hadn't. Uh, either way, I pray that we would listen kind of with fresh ears this morning, uh, praying that God would teach us uh, and show us the truth of his word. And so if you have your Bibles with you, Open to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, may take a little more flipping than finding Luke, but 2 Kings chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along in them. Uh, it will be on the screen, but it is a lot of text, and so it would probably be easiest to follow along in your Bible. And so, kind of to give you a context, we are in the middle of uh, the ministry of Elisha. And so, Elijah has been taking up uh, and now Elisha is the prophet of God. And, and this is kind of in 2 Kings uh, leading up to this. We, we're reading about his miracles and the way God uh, is working through him. Uh, 
stories that are great. The you know the widow's oil, uh, raising the the dead. I mean, uh, it's it's this this amazing uh, ministry of Elijah, and we're kind of in that uh, ministry. And so, but but in this ministry, there's this character that comes on the scene, Naaman. And so, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's pick up in verse one of chapter five. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, Naaman, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how that he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard and saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought, surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Or not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when the master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. This is a kind of a riveting story, right? Like it's all over the place. Like you have this character introduced and all of a sudden there's a servant girl that gets involved and, they, and it's kings writing to one another and it's a prophet and it's, it's just all of this miracle and it's just kind of it goes and then it ends with this go in peace. It's kind of an amazing story. And so let's look at it under the title this morning of the curing of Naaman. 
And so this, this kind of whole story kind of culminates in the curing of Naaman. And listen, uh, if you came for a really clever sermon, come back next week, uh, because today is really simple. Uh, as I read the text, it just preaches itself. Like the story is just there for us to see. All we have to do is have eyes. All we have to do is have ears, as Jesus said, to look at the text and see what, what the truth is. And so this morning we're going to look at it very simply, uh, asking three questions. Who is Naaman? What is his condition? And how is he cured? Uh, and as we dig into those questions, I think we're going to see uh, the parallelism that, that we have with our own condition and the answer really to the human condition. And so... The first question is, who is Naaman? And so, as we look at that, we find uh, in First Second uh, Kings five one, uh, kind of this description of Naaman. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and high in favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Everything we know about him comes from these verses. Uh, Naaman is not mentioned again outside of one time when the Lord. In the New Testament mentions Elijah curing Naaman uh, as he's talking about God working outside of his covenant people. He says there were a lot of lepers in Elisha's day, but he only cured Naaman. And so Jesus refers this as a historical event that happened. And it's the only other time Naaman is mentioned. And so we have to look at the text today in the description to understand who Naaman was. He was a commander of the Syrian army. And so... Uh, he was high-ranking. He was over the army of the king. He was very close uh, in authority to the king because he, he controlled the army. Uh, the, he says he was a great man with his master. That is, he was distinguished. Uh, he was an elevated uh, gentleman because of, the Bible says, uh, that he had been uh, victorious, that God had given him this favor. And so he was high in favor uh, or, or exalted, lifted up. The people loved him. He was a Distinguished with his master, he was high in favor, he was victorious, God had delivered the Syrian army by him, uh, he was a mighty man of valor, literally a man of might, uh, and so in this we see this kind of interesting fact that even though Syria was a pagan nation, uh, even though Naaman did not worship God, uh, the Bible declares this, that God had given victory Syria, And this is one of those reminders in the Old Testament that God's providential concern and care and work goes well beyond his people. He is providentially in control of everything. The Bible says he raises and lowers kings, right? He brings nations and destroys like he is in control, even though Naaman would have never thought that the God of Israel was the one behind his victory. But we see it in this text that God has been working uh, in his life, and he's been victorious. There's this, this, this but, though. He was a commander. He was distinguished. He was exalted. He was victorious. He was a man of might, but he was a leper, literally stricken with leprosy. Like imagine how this overshadowed everything else, right? Like, he was victorious. Like, he was successful at what he did. He was at the top. Like, he had climbed the corporate ladder until he was the commander of the army. And yet he was a leper. People loved him. He was exalted. They thought, here comes Naaman. And yet, he was a leper. He was successful, rich, well-liked. And at the end of the day, when he laid down, 
I imagine one of the first things he thought of was his leprosy. Because this was a debilitating disease. It would progress. And can you imagine, you know, some people say, would you trade places with Bill Gates, right? Because of his wealth or Jeff Bazos, but nobody would have traded places with Naaman. Because all the money and all the victory and all the esteem couldn't cure leprosy. He was diseased. So who was Naaman? Naaman was a a successful, well-liked man, but he was stricken with this disease. And listen, when I say that Naaman is a picture, the story is a microcosm of the human condition. Listen, Naaman is is each one of us. Listen, no matter what good things you can put before your name, right? You could be the most successful business person. You could be, uh, you could be rich. You could be well-looked. Uh, you could be liked. You could be handsome, beautiful, popular. We talked about with the kids this morning in, in Bible study about being popular and well-liked. You can have all of those things before your name, right? Rich wealthy, good-looking, popular, successful, well-spoken, well, well-taken care of, all of these things. And, but there's this, this final, at the end of your name, but you're a sinner. It's the condition that clings to us all. It is like leprosy. It doesn't matter what else you are. Successful, it, it doesn't matter. Won't fix leprosy. Rich won't fix leprosy, right? Highly favored won't fix leprosy. Victorious won't fix leprosy. Like mighty man of valor won't fix leprosy. There's this thing that clings to us like Naaman. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. That everyone has gone their own way. That there is no good. No, not one. There is no one excluded from this condition. Doesn't matter what else is in front of their name. And in Naaman, we see this truth. It doesn't matter. All of his victory, all of his favor could not deal with this condition he had. Uh, So Naaman was, listen, Naaman was a man that by all intents and purposes had done everything the world tells us to do. He had climbed the corporate ladder. He had earned success. He had married. He had high favor, right? He had all these things, and yet this condition literally clung to him he was stricken with it and that is the condition that the bible says every man woman and child has so as we begin to see the story of our own lives here as we begin to see that you know what it doesn't matter what else is before my name there's this problem this condition we eagerly ask, well, what was his condition? So who was Naaman? He was a, a very successful commander who was a leper. And so what was his condition? He was a leper. And I want to read to you this delightful description of leprosy from the Bible Dictionary. This disease begins with specks on the eyelids and on the, uh, on the palms, gradually spreading over the body, bleaching the hair white wherever they appear, crusting the affected parts of the white scales and causing terrible sores and swelling. From the skin, the disease eats inward to the bones, rotting the whole body piecemeal. 
this is leprosy. A disease in their day that had no medical cure. In Christ's day, no leper could live in a walled town, though he might live in an open village. But wherever he was, he was required to have his outer garment rent as a sign of deep grief, to go bareheaded and to cover his beard, his face with his mantle, as if in lamentation of his own virtual death. He had to warn passerbys to keep away from him, calling out, unclean, unclean. Nor could he speak to anyone or receive a return of salutation, because in the East, this involved an embrace. So a, a leper's life was not one of privilege or joy, even though in uh, Syria and in, in Naaman's land, it wasn't this socially devastating thing, at least not yet. I think Naaman is in the early stages of it. But listen, what is his condition? Well, he was medically incurable. Like, don't you know that he tried? I mean, this was a, a man of wealth and position. He tried everything. And nothing could cure his leprosy. Medically incurable. It was physically debilitating. As leprosy progresses, you begin to feel your extremities less and less, and so you begin to injure yourself more and more. And in certain cases, your nose rots off. Your fingers recede. Like, it's a horrible, debilitating disease. Listen, emotionally devastating. Can you imagine thinking every day, it doesn't matter what I do doesn't matter what I do today, how much I conquer or earn or win. I'm a leper. And at least in the Jewish culture, it was socially devastating. But Naaman's story, he gets this hopeful news from the pity of a lowly slave. That's why I say it didn't matter what else Naaman had. People pitied him because his servant girl said, would he was in Israel, he could be cured. She pitied her master. That was his condition. He was a man resigned to death. And yet it says the Syrians in one of the raids had carried off this little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And we're not sure how old she was or how long she worked, but eventually she says to her mistress, Naaman's wife, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Like, let's for a minute, what a witness from this servant girl, right? Violently ripped from her home, young put into slavery, and she has enough wherewithal to not only testify of the God in Israel, but that it's a God of healing, that he's a God that has compassion. And if she believed that if Naaman could just, would just be with the prophet in, in, in the land of God, and, and that, that he could be healed. Like, what a testimony from this little girl. She pities her master. She sees the condition that he's in. She hears the, the groans of pain when he's trying to rest with the sword. She, she knows what it's like for him to get up and get going. She sees this thing, and so she, she bears witness to the power of God and his people and his prophet here in Samaria. And so the king sends a letter. But look, see how quickly 
Naaman reacts to the glimmer of hope provided by someone so insignificant. A servant girl who, who is nothing, she's enslaved. She says, if you were in Samaria, you could be healed. And his wife says, hey, listen, this is what she said. And he runs to the king. Like how, how much, how desperate was he to be rid of this leprosy, right? To take the word of a servant girl who was enslaved to go into Samaria to see a prophet. He, he had this belief that this could be the answer. And the king, he said, listen, go and I will send a letter. And so he gathers this 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 chains of clothing. This was a small fortune. Like, it's kind of an indeterminate amount because of the language. We don't know how much it was in, in our money today, but it was, we know just from the context, a lot of money. And the Bible says he grabs 10 changes of clothing, which might sound weird to us. But the idea here is these were festive clothes. You ever watch the, the, the Oscars or something like that when the, the host changes clothes throughout the night? This was the idea here, to have so many nice clothes that you could change 10 times while hosting people. Like you were extravagant. So he, he is bringing these gifts of, of luxury and extravagance. Of This is a small fortune of not just money but things. So let's stop for a minute because we're going to pick up with that and his cure. But for a minute, let's just look at his condition. If we say that, that we are like Naaman and our condition is similar, then, then what do we hear? What do we learn about sin in Scripture? It's incurable. You cannot cure your own sin. Doesn't matter how successful you are, how rich you are. Doesn't matter what, tr what methods you try, you can try everything. And the Bible says it is incurable, much like Naaman's leprosy. It's debilitating. It starts small, just like leprosy. Leprosy is a great picture of sin. People thought that leprosy in the Old Testament was actually the judgment of God as a picture, an outward reality of their inward spiritual condition. Because it would start small, and it would grow, and as it grew, it debilitated more and more. What a description of sin. It's a little thing at first, and then it grows, and it grows, and it becomes more evident, and it affects further parts of our, our lives and our bodies, and it becomes debilitating. So not only is our sin incurable, not only is it debilitating, it cuts us off from God. We are people to be pitied. Like the lepers of old, our condition is similar. We are walking dead men and women who can only cry unclean. It clings to us no matter what we do. Listen, there is not a, a, enough success in the world to take you out of sin. There's not enough money in the world to remove your sin. There's not enough accolades, not enough honor. You could be the most honored person in the world, the richest person in the world, the most successful person on top of the world. And listen, it would do nothing for your condition of sin. So, we, so here we are. And we look at Naaman and we say, man, this is who I am. This is my condition. How is he cured? It's incurable, right? 
everything he tried, what happened? So how was he cured? And so that we turn to verse 9. And so Naaman goes and he stands before the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha the prophet sends out a messenger and says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. And Naaman rejoiced and ran to the river. No, he was angry. The Bible says he left in a rage. How dare you? What was the root of his anger? Pride. Pride. He was important. He was somebody. When he walked around Syria, they, they bowed. Like, they got out of his way. He was somebody. And so he comes with all this pomp and ceremony and chariots and entourage, and he comes to the door of the prophet, and he stands there, and they tell him Naaman's here, expecting the gates to open, some fanfare, the prophet to come out, and this little messenger comes out. Uh, Yeah, Elisha says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. That's it. Naaman is angry. How dare you treat me like this? So he goes away in a rage. I'm, some, I'm important. I'm somebody. Listen. And more than that, he has already played out how this was going to go in his head. That's what he says. Like, no, this is not how it was supposed to go. He was going to come out, and he was gonna, there was going to be a ceremony, and he was going to call in the name of his Lord, and he was going to wave his hand over the spots, and he was going to cure me. In the ancient East to... For someone to wave their hand over something, there was thought to be healing power there. And so he knew how this was going to go. He knew how to be cured. (laughs) He couldn't do it himself, but he figured he was smart enough to figure it out, right? If Elisha would just come out, call on uh, his God and wave his hand, he would be cured. And so he is angry, and he goes away in rage. And listen, his pride almost caused him to miss his healing. Pride is dangerous. His pride and his rage, his anger, almost caused him to go home to live out the rest of his days as a leper. But thankfully, he had people that were wiser than him, and they were servants again. It's one of the stories the servants just shine through. The servants come to him, and they say, address him with respect. Father, my father, listen, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said, wash and be clean? Like, did he really say that if you dip seven times, you'll be clean? Are you not going to do it? Like, that seems a pretty simple thing. You know, Naaman, like, just go do what he said, and if you can be clean, this is an amazing thing. And so the servants kind of talk him into going to the river. Listen, Naaman was not cured because he was important. Naaman was not cured because he knew how to be cured. Naaman was only and finally cured because he obeyed what the prophet said. Because he says, listen, aren't the rivers of Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not have just washed, could I have just stayed home and washed in them and been clean? And so he goes away in a rage. And listen, he wasn't wrong. Uh, the rivers of Damascus are, are, Damascus is a beautiful place. Like, it was, their water was known to be cool and clear and refreshing, and the Jordan was a muddy river. It was like going down to the Sabine, okay? You know what I'm talking about. Going to Galveston on vacation. It, it's that, it, the water is dirty. And so he says, listen, I had better waters at home. 
waters that are clear and pure and sparkle and they're refreshing. Why would I go down to this muddy Jerusalem river and wash in it? But when he did, listen, when he obeyed the word of God from the prophet of God in the way of God, he experienced He went to the commanded river. He followed the commanded process and the commanded number of times. Imagine him going down and dipping himself once or twice and looking at his skin and going, it's not working. I'm going home. Right? Seven times. Seven times obeying the word of God to to experience healing. And so listen, he, how was he cured? The simple answer was obedience. He obeyed God, and he experienced deliverance. And after that, he goes back to the man of God, he and all his company, and he comes and stands before God, and he he now understands that there is no other God but the God of Israel. And so he he worships, and he's, he's got gratitude. And listen, remember, he's got all of those gifts in tow, Right? 6,000 shekels, 10 things of silver. He's got the, the, the raiments. He's, he's ready to give it. And so he, he, he didn't give it to the prophet in the beginning, right? But after he experiences healing and he realizes that this is, this is only God and he's healed and he's clean, the Bible says his skin is like brand new. He goes to the prophet and he, he wants to give him these gifts. This is what he brought him for. And the prophet says, listen, you can't pay for God's healing. He turns him away. He says, keep your money. And he urges him to say, listen, take it. And and Elisha will not take it because he will not be paid for what God did. God told Elisha what to tell him. Elisha told him. The man went and he was cured. And so we are reminded if we are Naaman and if our news is the same, If we have to obey to be saved, what do we have to do? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Repent, believe, trust in him. And now we're with this choice. That doesn't take into any account my status. That doesn't take into account that I'm a good person. That doesn't take into account that I've never done anything big, wrong. I'm a pretty good person, right? Like, it's, it's offensive, and our pride says, no, not me. I don't need that. Or worse, we say, that's not how I would do it, right? I would, I would have a big ceremony. I would make a big deal about it. To be saved, I've got to do this thing, right? It's got to be elaborate, I want God to come out of heaven and talk to me personally because I'm that important. And the servant Jesus comes on the scene and says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. And we have a choice to make, just like Naaman. We can, in our anger and pride, refuse because we have an overinflated sense of self, pride because our way would be better. Listen, hear me. Is it not a great thing that the Lord said, believe and be saved? Would you not do it? 
try anything else. You would pay for it. You would try to earn it. You would try to do something. And the Lord Jesus said, repent and believe and you won't do it. I'm with the servant. It's pretty incredulous. Like, you won't go try? He says, did he really say bathe and be clean? Does the word really say be washed in the blood of Jesus? Like, be covered and you will be clean? And when you surrender your pride and your anger, and when you surrender in repentance and faith and you obey, just like Naaman found out, listen, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You'll never be worthy of it. You'll never, this fly is wearing me out. You'll never, you'll never earn it. You'll never pay it back. Like you will never be good enough for God to have saved you. All the money in the world doesn't matter. He doesn't need your money or your status or your position. He saves you when you let all of that go and obey him. I want to go, let's tie back in that first scripture that, that Will read for us. Ten lepers, like Naaman, outside of town. They see Jesus, they can't come up to him, right? So they cry out, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, right, turn and go to show yourself to the priest. They go on the way they're clean and only one comes back. And maybe when you heard that story, listen, some of you thought, I can't believe only one came back to thank Jesus. Listen, I would have been the one to come back. I do believe you may have skipped too far in the story. I'm not sure how many of us would have turned from Jesus and taken the first step towards the priest in the first place. Because it didn't make any sense. Jesus didn't tell them, you're healed, go show the priest. The Bible doesn't say that he healed them, and then he told them, he said, turn around in your leprosy and go towards the priest. I'm not sure many of us would have taken that step, because listen, it doesn't make sense. I'm still afflicted. It wasn't like Jesus healed other people. He, he healed them immediately and dramatically, and he he. He touched them, and, and so this is different, and maybe they thought it would work different. Listen, I, I've read the story of Naaman. I know I need to go wash in the Jordan, right? Like, there's something I need to do. And Jesus just says, turn and go show yourself to the priest. And in their obedience, the Bible says, on their way, they were healed. Just like Naaman, just like those ten lepers, we have you Bible calls it sin, and it will cling to you until the day you die. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. But you have a word of hope, just like Naaman received in his condition. God sent his one and only son that who believes in him might have everlasting life, right? There's a word. There's a word of hope that you will repent and believe. And listen, just like Naaman, not only do you have a condition, and a word of hope and a chance of cure, chance of healing, you have a choice to make. Will you let your pride and ambition and self-ego and importance keep you from humbling yourself before the cross? Or will you answer in obedience to the commands of Scripture?
Because that is the only way to be rid of your sin. Some of you in anger and in rage and in self-inflated ego are going to turn around and go throughout your life living as a leper. Because you can't imagine that you need to repent and believe. You can't imagine that you're bad enough that Jesus had to die for you. You can't imagine that your sin is so ingrained that you need a new heart, that born again. You can't imagine that you are dead like the Bible says. And until you, listen, until you obey the command of Scripture, you cannot be saved. You cannot be healed, restored. You will live a life covered in sin. Listen, that's what Scripture teaches us. And it's, it's interesting that this little story of Naaman is such a clear picture of that truth. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Bible says that God gives us these Old Testament stories for our benefit, for our good, that we may learn about him and his interactions with people, that we may learn about the human condition. And so when we see a story like this, we know because scripture says it is for our good. And so I don't know where you're at in this story. If you are Naaman and you're still trying to earn enough or to be successful enough or to victorious enough or well-liked enough to deal with this thing? Or if you've heard the word of hope, but you've yet to make the step towards God, I don't know, maybe you're somebody who's come to the door and you've, you want God to do this and you want God to do that, but you hear this word, repent and believe, trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not what you thought. It doesn't take into account who you are, your status, who you will be. It is simply the way that God has described salvation, that we humble ourselves in faithful obedience. And maybe that's you today. And listen, maybe you've turned away from the prophet, the, the door like Naaman already, and you've gone away in rage, and you're looking for a different answer. Would you listen? Just listen to the words of the servant. Is it not a great thing that he has said to you? Would you not trust? Would you not obey? Would you not turn to God in, in full trust, placing your hope and faith in him? Would you not do something so simple and be healed? Or would you rather go home covered in the filth of your sin, destined to be ate up 